Our study today is entitled, But Why? But Why? Do you know how many times we might say this? Do you know how many times you might hear this in a day and you don't realize it? If any of you have ever had to deal with young people, you know, come on, clean your room. But why? Leave your phone, leave your phone down while we're eating. But why? Always complaining, wanting to do it our own way, you know. You have to take a shower today. But why? <laughs> but why? A lot of the time we, we use that phrase, but why, without realizing it's just more of a, a response, an immediate response, right? Immediate reaction. But why? And when I hear that, it sounds like complaining. It sounds like... Um, I really don't want to do what you're asking me. I really don't see why we have to do this. Can we do what I want to do instead? I have little kids at home, and they know how to speak, some of them. And when you ask them to do something, it's time to eat. Eat your food. Oh, but why? Why do I have to eat? Because you have to. But why? So that you could be healthy. But why? So that you could be helpful. But why? And it's this constant thing. I don't think they're even listening to the answer. Sometimes I think we read things in the Bible and we see that God wants us to live a certain way. And sometimes when we read it, our desires are not aligned with God's word. So we might find ourselves questioning, but why do I have to do things the way God wants it done? But why? So today we're going to be studying a story about one prophet one prophet in the Bible. His name is Jonah. How many of you have heard of the name Jonah in the Bible? Okay, a few of us. So it's a good thing that we're going through this story today. Um, Jonah's the fella in the Bible that got swallowed up by a big whale. You know, you might have heard that in the children's stories. But today we're not focusing on, uh, we're not focusing on the whale. We're focusing only on the first chapter of Jonah. And we're going to be unpacking this a little bit. So if you want to reach out the Bible in front of you, the little blue books in the pew in front of you, and turn in your Bibles to Jonah, I will give you time to look for it because it is a very small book. There's only four chapters, and it's in the middle of a couple other small books. So it's toward the end of the uh, Old Testament there, somewhere in the Minor Prophets there. After Psalms, okay, somebody's going to be wise and look up the table of contents at the front and look for Jonah and they, they get the page number. If somebody finds it, yell out the page number so we could help everybody else. 852, page 852. You can follow along there in your Bible. We do have the words also up on the screen, but um, the version that we're studying from today will be the New King James Version, while the Bible that you're holding in your hands today is the New International Version. So there might be some variances, okay? So let's start reading the story, just the first few verses. Uh, the first section is called, Go, Go, Go. No, 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 okay? 
And we're reading from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3a. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness had come before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so here we see two things happening. The Lord is commissioning Jonah to go to this great city. What's the name of the great city? Nineveh. Okay. And Nineveh, at the time, this was like one of the greatest cities in the world, probably not just in size, but in power. Okay, so if you think of a great city today, Nineveh was like, that was it. Now, Jonah is just a Hebrew coming from that small little town, you know, and he's expected to go to this foreign land, okay? This is the first time a prophet was sent to a foreign land to a Gentile nation to preach against it. Now, God says, Jonah, arise, go to the city of Nineveh, and cry against it. Arise, go, and cry. Okay? Because they were wicked. Do you remember any other stories where there was a, a city of wickedness? Sodom and Gomorrah? Have you heard of that one? It was just a city filled with sin. And God wanted to destroy that city. Okay? And in the same way, remember what happened in the days of Noah? In the days of Noah, right, the whole world was wicked and there was only the one righteous man, Noah, that was spared and his family, right? So this isn't new to this prophet Jonah. He knows how God is. But he also knows that God could easily relent, if he chose to destroy a city, remember what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? And Mo, uh, not Moses, Abraham. Abraham pleaded with the Lord and said, if you could find 10 righteous people in that city, will you spare it? And the Lord said, yes, if I could find 10 righteous people, I will spare it. But there were not 10. There was just Lot and his family. So there was an escape plan for Lot, remember? And Lot and his family were allowed to flee, but God still destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of its wickedness. So for God to tell Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against it. Now this is the greatest city. Do you know how great this is? The downtown core had walls surrounding it, about eight miles around the center of the city. And then the rest of the city, like the greater Nineveh area, would be like 60 miles in circumference. 60 miles. Do you know how long that is? Oh no, sorry, we're in Canada. That's almost 100 kilometers. Okay, like 95 point something kilometers. And imagine traveling through this city. You couldn't make it across in a day. Just to give you some idea. Go down to Lake Ontario downtown Toronto. Take a car and drive all the way north until you reach Barrie 
and you get to the north side of Kempenfelt Bay. That's exactly about the size of Nineveh. Okay? That's a, that's a huge city. If you thought Toronto was big, imagine Toronto all the way to Barrie. This was a big city, and the Lord is expecting one man from the small town to go to this Gentile nation and preach against it. Jonah's like, no way. No way, God, I'm not going. Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. How could you flee from the presence of the Lord? You know, Tarshish is pretty far, okay? Um, let's continue reading, and we're going we're gonna to look at this a little bit more. Jonah decided to flee. Our next section is flee, 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 down, down, down. Okay, and we're reading from verse 3 to verse 5. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went down into it to go with them to go to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind out on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man tried to cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. He laid down and was fast asleep. So here we see Jonah fleeing from the presence of God, and it said that he went down to Joppa, right? And when he got there, he found a boat, and he paid his own fare, and he went down into the ship, okay? And there's just this repeated down, down, down. And then the Lord sends this great wind. And there's this big storm on the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And amongst all this, Jonah had gone down even deeper to the lowest part of the ship. And there he was asleep. Have you ever tried to hide from God? You know, you, you had your own desires. You had your own reasons for doing what you wanted to do. And you know that it's not aligned with God's will. But you persist. And you press on. And you say, I'd rather just do what I want to do. I mean, have you ever? You don't have to put your hand out. I have. And I know when I'm not living in the will of the Lord, and I choose to do my own thing instead, guess what? Like Jonah... You find your life just going down, down, down. And guess what? You pay the price for that. Imagine you pay the price so that you could mess up your life even more. All right? It's interesting. When I read that he, why did they put that little detail that he paid the fare and then he got on the boat? See, when we flee from the presence of God, when we try to run away and hide from God, we are paying a price. But it's a, a fare that you pay and you don't get to where you're going. Imagine that. You pay the full fare and you don't get to where you're going. But what God does for us is he paid a price he paid a price, and he's certain to bring us to where he is. All right? That's the difference between Jonah and Jesus. Okay? 
Jesus paid the price for all of us so that we could be certain that we will end up where we're going. When we pay the price for ourselves and try to do things in our own way, you never end up where you're going. All right? God has a way of doing some crazy things. If you decide to run away from God, guess what? God might send a storm right after you. He might send a storm to stop you from where you're going. He's pursuing you. He wants you to stay where he is. He doesn't want you to flee. So God is the one that caused this great storm to come, to stop Jonah. Interesting. Sometimes when we have great storms in our life, we might complain to God. Why am I going through this? Why do I have to deal with this? When will this stop? Make it stop, God. Save me from this storm. You know what? God may very well have sent you that storm so that you would look to him, so that you could pay attention again. Why did he send the storm after Jonah? I wonder. Jonah was being disobedient to God. He was a prophet, a chosen man of God. And he was disobedient to God. He went the opposite direction that God wanted him to go to. I have a map here. I want to show you a picture. Here you have Joppa. And Joppa to Nineveh is about 550 miles. That's quite a ways. Right? They didn't have all their fancy Tesla cars like they, we do now. All right? They were traveling by foot. All right? And he wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. Instead, Jonah went down to Joppa. And he went in the total opposite direction, headed across the Mediterranean Sea. Nineveh is in Syria. Okay, it's like the capital area of Syria. And Tarshish is all the way over at Spain. All right, I don't know what Jonah wanted to do. He might have heard of the good parties out in Spain. But look at 2,500 miles. He wanted to make sure there was no way that he was going to get over to Nineveh. Now, why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Was he afraid? I mean, I would have been. I would have felt like I was inadequate. I would be like, no, God, you can't use me. I, I, I'm not strong enough to deal with all that, you know? But this isn't why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. It's much worse. We don't realize why Jonah tried to flee from God until the very end of his story. In chapter 4. Like Jonah at this point, he knew. This was after Psalms, right? He knew this psalm very well. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Psalm 139 verse 7. We can't escape God. He's everywhere. He knows all. He sees all. You cannot hide from him. But then we get the answer here. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? It wasn't because he felt inadequate or afraid. We find the real reason in Jonah 4, verse 2. Here's what he says. I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. See, he knows that God is gracious and merciful, that God would want to save the people in Nineveh. And that's why he was being sent there to preach against it. And he said, you know what, God? 
Hell no. There's no way I'm going to allow those evil, wicked Gentiles to be saved. We are your people. The Jews, we are your people. Why do you want to save them too? They don't deserve it. They've been wicked their whole life. There's no way I'm going over there so you could save them. That's the reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh. God's will, and Jonah knew God's will. That's why he was being sent. Go to Nineveh and preach against it. And he's like, no, God, I'm not going because I know you want to save them too. As Christians today, as believers today, we have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. We have accepted him as our Lord and Savior. You know, we accept his spirit in our life and his guidance. But for some reason, there are so many Christians I know today that are like, at least I'm saved. Screw everybody else. That's the same attitude that Jonah had. Do you realize that the followers of Jesus have also been commissioned to arise from wherever you are, to go in all your going, go and declare the name of God, cry out, letting people know that God loves them and he wants them to be with him? Arise, go, and cry. It's the same commission. You know, at the end of Matthew, the way that Matthew puts it, Jesus commissions his followers to go into the nations, baptizing everybody, making them disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're called to go and let people know about Jesus. When we cry out, I mean, I have so many great opportunities here at Praise Gathering to share my story, you know, and and I will cry out and explain how God has worked in my life. And it's not bragging. It's to declare how God works. How he could change your life. And you don't have to try to do it. You just, you just go to God and he'll do it for you. All right? And I know too many people feel like, I don't want to follow Jesus because it's too hard. Are you kidding me? It's not hard to follow Jesus. You just, you just follow him. And when you follow him, guess what he does? He's making you new. He's the one doing the work in you. When we read the story of Jonah, we might think he didn't go to Nineveh because he felt inadequate. He didn't go to Nineveh because he was afraid. We think he didn't go to Nineveh because he wasn't prepared. Those are our excuses. Those are our but, but, but. But why do I have to live this way, Lord? But why do I need to give these things up? But why should I spend more time in your word? But why should I focus in on you and forsake the things of this world? But why? Excuses, excuses, so that we don't have to follow God? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? That's already big and heavy, eh? I mean, like, if, if that was a whole study today and we just stopped there, that would be plenty to chew on, right? But I am interested to see what else goes on here in verses 6 to 9. 
casting lots to discern. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause, uh, for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So here Jonah is. (laughs) They wake him up. They're like, what do you mean? Why are you sleeping, man? Get up. Get up. Everybody else is praying to their God. Why don't you talk to your God? Maybe we could figure out what's going on here. And they decided to cast lots. You know what casting lots is? All right. There's so many different ways you could cast lots. Um, Today, it would probably be equivalent to uh, flipping a coin, uh, shaking a magic eight ball, you know, and and people do these things um, to try and discern. Now, Back in the day, this was a very, in these ancient times, it was a very common practice. It was even allowed in Israel, right? Because they would cast lots and God could use that medium to reveal his will to the people. Surely enough, when they cast lots, the lot fell on Jonah. So God is pointing a finger at Jonah, All right. It's not some other spirits that's pointing to Jonah. God used their way of discerning to bring discernment. And God says, it's because Jonah, it's this fellow. So what do they do? They interrogate him. What have you done that made this God of yours so angry? Save us. What do we have to do to you so we could be saved here? You know, like, who is this God of yours? And then he declares, I am Hebrew. I fear the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, who created the sea and the land. Funny enough, the sea is tossing them all about, right? I mean, that's all the detail that we get of what he said in the story. If you were in that boat, a Gentile, And you don't know this Yahweh, God of heaven. But you see that it was because this guy is disobeying his God. Look at how powerful this God is. Look at how powerful and able and mighty his God is. They were fearing for their life. But they knew that they were at the hand of a God that is so powerful that he controls the elements of creation. There are other stories in the Bible that I find. Remember the fiery furnace? And the king said, you guys aren't bowing down to my statue, so three of you go in the fiery furnace. They refused to bow down because they, they served the God of heaven. They believed in Yahweh. And the three of them went in and they said, I don't know, but God will save us. And if he doesn't, well, I die standing for my God anyway. So the three men go in the fiery furnace and the king is looking and he's like, how many men did we put in there? His attendant said, you put three in, sir. 
And he goes, but I see four. Who is that fourth man? He looks like a god. He looks like a powerful being. And the men walked out of the fiery furnace untouched. You know what the king said? Their God saved them. If anybody ever says anything against their God, they will be dealt with terribly. Nobody is allowed to say anything against the God of heaven. For he is indeed the greatest God. See, when horrible things are happening, friends, people always question, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you making this happen? I thought you were kind, God. I thought you were good, God. He is good. He is kind. But he is dangerous, too. I know we like to paint a picture of God being all friendly, being all accepting and coddling, and okay, buddy, you know, it's okay. Get up, get up. That's not how God deals with us. God is a dangerous God. When we step out of the will of God, he could cause the strong winds to blow in your life. Because he says, you are my child. I don't want you going too far. Let's continue reading. Verses 10 to 15 we get a better picture of how the sailors in this boat were relating to Yahweh God at this point in the storm. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord, because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that the great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more temptuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with the innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done this, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. They asked him what they should do to him to help calm the sea that was growing more tempestuous. Jonah told the sailors to pick him up and throw him into the sea. We see here that they didn't want to kill Jonah, so they tried to row to land even harder because they cared about this one man's life. And they're like, we can't let this guy die. You know, they didn't want to throw him overboard. That's what we see. They had compassion on him. In verse 14, we see them call out to God. They call out to Yahweh, okay? We pray, O Yahweh, Please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. Do you remember another story in the Bible where a man did not want to be charged with the shedding of innocent blood? We just celebrated Easter last weekend. And part of that Easter story is when Jesus was arrested and he was brought before Pontius Pilate. 
And Pilate found no fault with Jesus. So instead of sending Jesus to the cross himself, he said, I wash my hands of this. I don't want to have any charge over this man's life, the shedding of innocent blood. There's so much in Jonah's story that correlates with the story of Jesus. Do you remember another time in the Bible where there was a great storm over the seas? It was Jesus with his disciples. And Jesus was also sleeping on the boat. And the storms were raging all around them. And what did Jesus do? They woke him up. Master, master, wake up. And he gets up and he says, quiet, be still. He wasn't talking to his disciples. He was talking to the storm, to the wind and the waves. Who is this man that he has the authority to command creation? Who is this man that he has the authority to calm the storms? And then he turns to his disciples and he goes, Oh, you of little faith, where was your faith? I am with you. Every time God brings encouragement to us, friends, remember that he's saying those words, I am with you. So no matter what storms you're facing, don't think, what wrong have I done, God, that this is happening to me? God is not out there to punish you, friends. He is there to get your attention, though. And sometimes in our stubbornness, we keep turning away from God and doing things our own way. He'll allow us to hit rock bottom. He'll allow us to go down, down, down until we have no more fight left. Jonah wanted to die. Jonah didn't care. He said, listen, fine. You guys tried to save me. Throw me over the boat and the storm will stop. He was ready to die. And it looks like he's being a martyr here, doesn't it? It looks like he's being a martyr. Let me die so you all can live. But the truth is, friends, Jonah just wanted to die. He would rather die than go to Nineveh so all those people would be saved. How selfish is that? Sometimes we would rather die than go where God is leading us. We would rather die in our sin and our grumbling and complaining instead of allowing God to use us for his kingdom purposes. We live for ourselves and not for God. But God was teaching Jonah a lesson. Let's look at what it says here in the last two verses of chapter 1 in our section called Deliverance. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Interesting. The men on that boat, they must have learned a little bit more about Yahweh God. I'm sure Jonah, during the time that he was with them, was able to share a few things about God with them. So God was still able to use Jonah even while he was running away. Even while he was being disobedient. Jonah did declare, we see that he declares, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord of heaven, the one that created all, right? And he's declaring who God is to these people. Now you might feel like you're not ready to be used by God yet. You might feel like God hasn't chosen you, okay? But the fact that you already accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've already answered the call. 
Because when you answer the call to him to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and Jesus, if you claim him as Lord and let him reign in your heart as Lord, he leads us to go and fulfill the mission that he's sending us out on to share the good news with the world, declaring the truth of Jesus, friends. But I don't want to. But why? Why me? Somebody else could do it. They speak better than I do. No, arise and everywhere that you go today, friends, you could be the living message, a living sacrifice that shows God to the people around you. We don't have to just talk about God. We get to show it in how we live, how we treat people with kindness and patience and respect and gentleness. Long story short, God sent that great fish to swallow Jonah. And for three days he stayed in the belly of the whale or the great fish. Three days he stayed in there and while he was there, he had a lot of time to sit and think. And he was able to come to, back to this place declaring God's sovereignty. That even though I tried to escape, even though I tried to flee, even though I went down, 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 it says to the roots of the mountains in the pit, to this hellish place, oh God, you saved me. Oh God, you rescued me. And he realized God is the one that caused all this to happen. The great storm. The great fish. And God's not done with me yet. So what does God do? He tells the fish, spit him out on the land. All right? Jonah gets spit out on the land. And he is recommissioned. He tells Jonah then, arise, go to Nineveh, and cry out this declaration. In 40 days... Yahweh, the God of heaven, will destroy this place. That was the only message. In 40 days, God will destroy this city unless you repent. People in Nineveh, they believed him. So what they did... They put on sackcloth, sat in ashes. They didn't eat anything. They were fasting. They even covered their animals with sackcloth and they wouldn't eat anything. So they were showing God, the God of heaven, how sorrowful they were and they were begging the God of heaven not to destroy them. Jonah, you would think that he was happy with the outcome, right? You think that Jonah was happy that God saved all these people and they didn't get mad at him? Instead, they believed him. You know what Jonah did? He went outside the city. He sat down in the desert and he grumbled and he complained. He was angry with God. Why are they being saved? I hate this. And that's where we read in uh, chapter 4, verse 2. I knew from the beginning, God, that this is what you were going to do. And now I feel like a fool and now they're getting saved and here I am. This sucks. I'm the Jew. I'm your chosen person. Not them. Friends, there's so many believers today that feel that because they are a Christian, they could curse everybody else. 
You are not any more special to God than everybody else you're pointing fingers at. Okay? God had compassion on all people. He sent Jesus not just for you because you decided to become a Christian. God sent Jesus for all people. So all people should hear this news. This is what we are saved for, friends. Don't sit comfy because I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I'm good. I don't have to worry about anything. Go and tell the world that God loves them too. That we have a God that can save. You know, we, I, I, I declare that God's love is unconditional. I declare that his love is unconditional. But I see here in these stories that sometimes God operates with conditions. Right? He was ready to destroy Nineveh in 40 days. But with a condition, if people turned their hearts to him, he would not destroy that city. Right? Same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. If there are 10 righteous, I will not destroy the city. That's a condition. But if there are not 10 that could be found, 10 righteous, I will still destroy the city. There are conditions. For God so loved the world, all people, unconditionally, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. The condition comes if you choose to believe. That's the condition. Some people say, well, Jesus died for my sin, so I'm good. Right? And they go on making a life of sin. Fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Putting their desire and their will before the will of God. Forgetting that God is sovereign and his will is sovereign. And what will be, will be. And at the end days, friends, there will come a time that the Bible tells us God will destroy and obliterate wickedness forever. No more evil, no more sin, no more nasty stuff. God's going to take it all away. So you choose this day, friends. Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that God raised him from the grave? Do you believe that he's coming back again? Do you believe that he's loving you and leading you and guiding you? Do you believe that he's giving you a new heart? He's creating a new spirit in you. Do you believe that he is leading you and guiding you and you don't have to do it on your own? Do you believe that he's not holding your sins against you, friends? He loves you. He wants to see you grow and flourish. And he wants to use you, friends. He wants to use you for his kingdom purposes to declare to other people the good news, the good news that you heard, that you're enjoying. You get to share that joy with other people too. They might not like it at first. All right? But we don't have a monopoly on God. We can't hoard God for ourselves. Anytime you hoard anything, it'll mess up your life. Even if you're trying to hoard God and be consumerist in your spiritual journey, let me take more sermons. Let me take more um, music. Let me take more services, Bible study, whatever it is. Let me do more of that. And you're just consuming it for yourself, but there's no output. 
That is not what God wants for us, friends. We cannot be like Jonah and be selfish and make salvation just about us. God made it about the whole world. So we join God in that mission to go to the ends of the earth and declare the name of Jesus so that many can be saved. Because if they don't hear it, friends, faith comes by hearing and hearing at the word of God. We have to share this message, friends. How do you do that? You can't just go around thumping the Bible on people's heads, right? I mean, it hasn't proved very successful. But you could share your story and how God has been working in your life, right? I'm sure you have friends that are reluctant to believe. I'm sure you have family that make fun of you because you choose to believe in God. I know that you have people that, you know, yeah, we're Christians, but we're cool Christians, so we still like to have fun in the world. You know what? We can't keep playing that game, guys. I get worried when there are no storms. <laughs> I get worried when there's no storms in my life sometimes. Well, not so much worried, but I consider, wow, God, life is going so good right now, <laughs> you know? And I'm always waiting for the, the other shoe to fall. I'm always waiting for God to test me again or bring me through another challenging experience because I know I haven't ar arrived yet. We never really arrive, okay? And right now, it kind of feels like, wow, God, you have so blessed my life, and I am so grateful to you for so many things. I remember all the things that he has done to develop this trust in him. He, he grows your faith. Did you know that? When you go through the storms and he delivers you from them, your faith grows. You learn how to trust him. And the more and more you trust him, the less and less storms have to come. Right? But I'm like, Lord, I know that I haven't arrived yet. Is this really all that there is, God? And I am tempted. I'll be very plain with you. I am tempted sometimes to grumble against God and say, God, this can't be all that there is. I know you have more for me than this. Give me eyes to see the more. If God hasn't shaped me, to do the more that he's calling me to do, then I'm in trouble. If this is all that it is, getting up here every Saturday, just putting together studies and sharing them with you, is that all that God really has for me? I have so many friends that have turned away from God, so many friends that have... Uh, Just they don't acknowledge God anymore. And they mock me because I'm a believer. And I pray for them. I'm not better than them. I pray for them because I'm like, guy, I want so much better for you than you want for yourself. God doesn't want to see you just living this way for nothing. The things we live for, if we're not living for God, friends, those things, they all pass away. Let us not be selfish. Let us learn to become compassionate. 
in our sidebar, there's a small little devotional that you could read sometime during the week. I urge you, friends, to get together with some other friends during the week. Meet together in Jesus' name with the purpose of honoring and glorifying God and to allow God to reveal himself to you as a small church community during the week. We call these gatherings access gatherings. Access to God through his word, access to God through prayer, access to his family through fellowship, access. We have direct access to the throne of grace, friends. And I think we forget that we have that access pass. It's an all-open access pass that we have to the throne of grace, okay? But instead, we try to get tickets to go see Endgame. You know, we line up, we try to get our tickets beforehand, and it's okay, like, I want to watch it too. But we already have this all-access pass to God. How often do we make use of that access? We need to encourage one another as a church, meeting together regularly and breaking bread together, learning together, being led by God together, encouraging each other, praying for each other. And this, friends, this is one of the first steps in learning how not to be selfish in salvation anymore. Right? We don't need to be selfish with salvation. We get to share it and journey together with the rest of the body of Christ. Okay? The question I have for you today, are we more like Jesus or are we more like Jonah? Are we more like Jesus, compassionate, compassionate for so many? For the whole world, Jesus died because he loved the world. Jonah wanted to die being thrown over the boat so that others would not be saved. I've heard too many Christians saying, if the Lord would just take me now. I know I'm good with him now, so let him take me now. And when I wake up, I'll be with him in heaven. But God can still use you today to reach so many other people. It has been my prayer for this faith community and anybody that just kind of comes through our doors that they would get a taste, they would get a taste of, of what God wants us to be doing as a family, that they would get a taste of what it means to be the church together, that they would get a taste of what it means to be part of a loving community. We're not perfect. We mess up a lot, but we forgive each other, and we pray for one another, and we continue to encourage each other to keep on keeping on in this journey with God. Friends, I don't know what storms you might be going through in life, but I know that with your small excuses of but, 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 God has this one sovereign but, single T. 
God just has to answer you back once. Because he is sovereign. And his will will be done. Whether you choose to obey or disobey, God's will will still be done. Jonah was disobedient to the end. When he was on that hot desert, God caused a a plant to grow, a weed to grow. And he found shade under this weed. But then there was this worm that came around the next day. So Jonah's enjoying God's blessing. Okay, God, thank you for this leaf in the desert. It's covering me and I have shade. The very next morning, God caused a worm to eat that plant. And the plant shriveled and died. And Jonah said, but why, God? Why did you take this away from me? It was the only good thing going on in my life and you took it away from me. How dare you? And God says to Jonah, you baby, why are you whining like a child? You have more compassion for this plant than you do all those people in that great city of Nineveh? He had to learn his lesson. When we complain, God can do great things. He sent a great storm. He sent a great fish. He sent Jonah to this great city But he used a small worm to teach him his lesson about how great his nasty attitude was, how great his pride and selfishness was. Whatever great thing you have, God's going to demolish that greatness until you humble yourself. God can use great things like the great fish, the largest animal in the world, And he could use a tiny little worm. If God can do all this, don't you believe that he can do amazing things in your life too? Stop making excuses with God. Because when you do, you can expect great things coming your way.